As many of you may know, that food security has become a major issue for governments to solve. The production of food is therefore a critical part to, to their solutions. So they are actively looking to preserve or conserve water, uh, to protect soil and, to, and really to secure seed. Uh, water, they, they, they are developing more water res- resources, both uh, surface water as well as underground. Uh, soil pollution is a, is a major, major problem, especially in areas where uh, mining and farming seeks to coexist. Uh, pollution, of course, poisons the soil and, and greatly impacts its fertility uh, and uh, suitability for growing crops or, or raising livestock or even to live on. And of course, seed safety is also a major consideration. Did you know that there exists a doomsday seed vault? Uh, the proper name is the Svalbard International Sea Vault. Uh, it's deep inside a frozen Arctic mountain in Norway. It's storing seeds collected from all over the world to serve as a backup, <clears throat> a backup system for the planet's plant resources. Uh, you see, because once a seed is lost, it can never be replaced. Uh, man, we with all our technological advances are still unable to create a single seed, a life-giving seed. And so seed preservation is is critical. But we are not here to talk about food security, are we? We are here to talk about sowers and seed and soils. Because we are in Matthew 13, uh, a chapter of parables, a kingdom parable through which Jesus Uh, really both concealed and revealed the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. He was hiding the truth in plain sight. And we've seen already that chapters 1 to 10 that uh, Jesus was presented as the king. In chapters 11 to 12 that Jesus was rejected as the king by Israel. And so the question is now what? Uh, Well, the rejection of Jesus by Israel did not derail the plans and purposes of God. He will restore His kingdom on earth, that is His mediatorial kingdom that was usurped by Satan. His mediatorial kingdom meaning that He would reign on earth through man. And of course, He will restore that through the second Adam, Jesus Christ. He will save His people from their sin. He will establish Jesus as King in Jerusalem, reigning on the throne of David. He will restore the nation of Israel to their land under his reign. He will subdue the nations and establish his reign of righteousness and and justice and peace, a, a reign that will have no end. And he will reverse the curse on nature pronounced after the fall, restoring it to its pre-fall Edenic conditions as prophesied by his prophets. Why? Because he is faithful. His word is sure. His promises are true. And his plans and purposes are steadfast. He is all-knowing and, and infinitely wise. And he is all-powerful, able to bring about his word exactly as he declared it. You see, the kingdom of Jesus 
um, that Jesus offered Israel uh, will now have to wait until his second coming to be fulfilled. Uh, until then, uh, his kingdom, uh, his rule would be uh, over the hearts of men, uh, in the hearts of those who have received him as king. And so in chapter 13, we, we find this mark uh, change in Jesus' teaching style that he began to focus more on what the kingdom would be like in this interim period between his first and second coming, that he began to teach predominantly through parables, and that he also revealed increasingly to his disciples that the purposes of God for him, him was that he would suffer many things at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed but be raised up on the third day. And so in chapter 13, he begins to teach on this kingdom with, uh, with, a, with a, his characteristics uh, that are different than what was prophesied. Um, we have seven parables in this chapter revealing four characteristics. And the first one is, is that now the kingdom would be primarily spiritual, uh, him reigning over man's heart through faith. Uh, of course, the parable of the sower is an example of that. Then the kingdom will also appear to be of mixed character. There would be those who are truly in the kingdom uh, with Christ ruling over their hearts, and there would be those that would appear to have Christ in their lives, but who are false. And so the wheat and the tares and the dragnet parable explains that. We see that the kingdom will grow. It will grow outwards and it will grow inwards. Outwards, as in the number, increasing in number, more and more people will come into the kingdom. The parable of the mustard seed explains that. And it will also grow inward, as the parable of the leaven explains, that uh, the influence of Christ would in increase in people's lives so that they would become more holy and more Christ-like. Also, the kingdom is of priceless value. It, it is worth the cost of everything and anything we may hold dear in order to gain it, in order to enter into it. And that's taught by the parables of the, great, the pearl of great price and the great treasure. And just a reminder, as we said, a parable is, is really a teaching device through which something unknown uh, is explained by comparing it with something familiar or known. Jesus used it to teach the unknown spiritual truth of the kingdom by comparing it to everyday life situations. Of course, a parable has limits. Uh, it usually conveys only one spiritual truth, occasionally more, but predominantly only one. And we need to guard against uh, using details in the parable to draw conclusions which the parable does not teach. Uh, and so if you are not there yet already, please turn to Matthew 13. And let me pray for us, and then we'll read this out text for today. Father, we come to you uh, in need of your... Your grace, Lord. We need your spirit, Lord, to open our eyes, to hear your word, to understand it, to believe it, Lord, to act upon it, Lord, and to bear the fruit of it. And so, Lord, we have prayed and we continue to pray now that you would minister to us through your spirit and the ministry of your word. 
in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we are in chapter 3, verse 1, sorry, not chapter 3, chapter 13, verse 1, reading, That day Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea, and a large crowd gathered to him. So he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow, and he sowed some seed fell on the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and sorry, some hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears. Let him hear. And the disciples came to him and said, Why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus said to him, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he shall have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears they scarcely hear, and with their eyes, and their eyes close their eyes. Otherwise they would see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, and yet has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction and persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty. And so here we, we have a parable of, of the sower. Uh, really the setting we have is Jesus just came out of the house from probably where his family was seeking to speak to him. And again, he was very popular. Crowds were still following him, seeing, probably waiting to see what he would do. And uh, then he managed to get in a little boat uh, on the Sea of Galilee, right on the shore with all the people on, 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 the, on the beach listening to him. And he spoke to them in parables. Uh, Jesus would teach the crowds in parables. And when 
his disciples were alone with him, they would ask him to explain it, as we, as we read in Mark 4.10. And so he says, Behold, a sower went out sowing. Uh, this would be a very familiar picture to them. Uh, a sower would have this pouch uh, slung over his shoulder, which carried the seed, and he would dip in his hand, take a, a, a handful, and just scatter it um, over, the, over the fields. Uh, not, a, not a very precise method of sowing as, as, the, as the parable reveals, because some of the seed fell on the, on the road. The road would be little footpaths, about three feet wide, that crisscrossed the countryside. Many of them would run through agricultural fields. And because of all the foot traffic, the soil there would be compacted and become very, very hard. And, and any seed that fell on it did not or was not able to penetrate that soil and was just lying there, easy pickings for the birds. Some seed fell on the rocky places. Some parts of the fields would only have a, a shallow layer of soil um, over a rocky bed underneath. And the seed that fell in this soil would spring up quickly. Um, you see, the soil being shallow did not allow the seed to, to shoot down deep roots. And so because it couldn't grow down, it shot up quickly, and it was little saplings appear very, very quickly in, in that kind of ground. But when the sun came out, it lacked good roots to support it, and therefore it was withered very quickly. Other seed fell among the thorns. Um, it also sprouted and seemed to be doing well. But thorns came up as well and overwhelmed it and really choked the life out of it. Uh, if you are, have been gardening to any extent, you would know that the things you don't want to grow, they seem to really grow. And the things you want to grow usually struggles a little bit. Uh, but finally, there's the good soil, the fertile soil. The seed that fell on that soil sprouted and produced a remarkable crop, a hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. Given that the normal yield of that climate was about eightfold, in a good year ten, Jesus was talking here about bumper crops. Um, and so at first glance, it would appear that the enemies to a good crop, the enemies to the sower would be the birds, the sun, perhaps the rock under that, or the weeds or the thorns. But were these things really the problem? Were they the real enemy to the sower, the, the actual hindrance to a good harvest? And we will have to see. Jesus ended this parable saying, He who has ears, let him hear. I, I can just imagine, um, man, sometimes I see that in your, in your faces. Uh, people hearing the words, understanding what I'm saying, but not knowing why. Why, why is he saying this? Uh, they grasped the picture of, of what Jesus was saying, but... But not the significance of it, not the importance of it, uh, not, not, the, not the, uh, 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 having a full understanding of it. And they were probably scratching their heads thinking, why is he saying this to us? Why is he talking about seed and soil? And... But Jesus was in fact saying to them, I'm telling you something 
significant. I'm teaching you something important. And you need to listen between the lines. You need to listen with ears that are accustomed to hearing. And so in verse 10, his disciples came to him, and they've noticed the change in teaching style, and asked Jesus, why do you speak to the people in parables? And the answer Jesus gave was very pointed and very profound. Also very important for us to understand and worthy of a whole sermon. Therefore, I am not going to cover that section this morning. You will have to wait for next week for that. And I would encourage you to be here to hear that. But I will only cover really the explanation of the parable that is before us this morning. And we'll see that the real problem is not the, the, the birds or the, or the, or the uh, sun or the, or, the, or the thorns, but the real problem is the soil. The soil is the problem. We see the seed. The seed, Jesus says, is the message of the kingdom, the gospel, really the word of God. The sower, the sower would be Jesus. Because he has been going through all of Israel, both in Judea and Galilee, and he was sowing the seeds of the gospel of the kingdom. He also commissioned the twelve disciples to go out and preach the gospel of the kingdom to the lost sheep of Israel. We read in chapter 10, verse 5. And of course, before his ascension, he commissioned all his disciples to go into the, to, to the nations to make disciples, to preach the gospel, to sow the seed of the gospel. And the soil, well, Jesus said the soil represents the human heart in verse 19. Now, in the parable, the seed is important, but it is not the focus. The seed produces the fruit, and it's the same seed that was sown on every type of soil, but it is not the focus. The parable has a sower, but the sower is not, in this parable, important. Because he went out sowing the seed, his sowing was a bit wayward, uh, a little bit indiscriminate, uh, which was actually a good thing because you cannot judge the soil by the naked eye. You don't know, know if, they were, uh, if, if it was weed infested or had uh, rocks underneath. And so the sower went out and sow, but the sower is not the focus of this parable. The focus of the parable is the soil. There were different kinds of soil, representing different people. People who respond differently to the seed of the gospel, based on the condition of their heart, the quality of their heart. And so we see four soil types or four soil conditions. And the first one is the pathway soil. Um, and that represents really the hardened heart. Those who are not open to spiritual truths. Whose hearts are unresponsive, insensitive, calloused by sin and selfishness, by pride and stubborn autonomy. 
Those with a hardened heart hears the gospel, may have heard the gospel many times, may even be able to articulate the gospel, but does not understand it. They do not comprehend its spiritual significance, its spiritual importance, its spiritual relevance. Because the gospel does not enter their heart. It does not provoke their thinking. It does not affect their being, their lives. The hardened heart would not be, well, the hardened heart would be blind to the accusation of the gospel that you are a sinner. The hardened heart would be deaf to the gospel's judgment that you are condemned because of your sin. The hardened heart would be opposed to the gospel's call. Repent and believe. Turn away from your wicked ways and trust in Jesus as Savior and Christ as King. Those with a hardened heart suppresses the truth in unrighteousness and exchange the truth for a lie. Those with a hardened heart, their hearts become harder every time they hear the gospel and resist it, refuse it, reject it. And so under the influence of Satan and sinful autonomy, whenever the hardened heart hears the gospel, it resists it and justifies its resistance through various excuses. You Christians are all the same. You're a bunch of hypocrites. I'm a good person. And then they normally pick the worst human being ever walked the earth to compare themselves with. Or they may say, listen, so many atrocities have been committed in the name of religion in history. I want nothing to do with this. Or they say, I have been deeply hurt by the church. And there may be a myriad of other excuses that, that a hardened heart would have. And so the seed of the gospel is snatched away. The evil one snatched it away so that it could not be considered or contemplated, for it is gone out of the heart, out of the mind, and that is the hardened heart. Then we read that there is the rocky soil. The rocky soil I describe as the selfish heart, really the fickle or impulsive heart. This heart will immediately receive the seed of the gospel with joy, Jesus said. So this kind of person is very impulsive, uh, emotionally excitable. And quickly respond to the love they see in the gospel. And they rejoice of the blessings that is offered through the gospel. I mean, who would not want to be loved sacrificially? I mean, who would not want their sins forgiven? Who would not want eternal life? And so they respond quickly. With, with great joy. Maybe tears of joy and, and exuberant gladness. But under that shallow layer of, let's call it pliability, that is the willingness to put up with something 
or to endure something because of the merits that may be gained through doing so. Underneath this layer, this, this shallow layer of pliability or hypocrisy, you may even call it, the shallow layer of compliance lies a bedrock of selfishness, a hard bedrock of selfishness. You see, gospel seed in the selfish heart, the stony heart, does not shoot down roots, deep roots, because it cannot. Selfishness won't allow it. As soon as it shoots down root and hit the bedrock of personal benefit, personal ambition, personal preferences, it cannot go any further. It is blocked. And those with a shallow, selfish heart, a stony heart, have not understood the gospel. They have not considered the demands of the gospel. They have not counted the cost of having Christ as king. And so they are willing to make a few superficial changes to gain what they desire. But a commitment to Jesus, submission to Christ, only goes as deep as the benefits that he offers. But when the demand comes to deny self, when the necessity comes to pick up their cross, when the command comes to follow Christ and confess Christ before men at great cost to themselves, cost of time and money and effort and ease, then that commitment withers and welts and wastes away. And Jesus said that the Son represents affliction and persecution that may come. Affliction, I would classify as just the normal circumstances of life, hardship in life, troubles, distresses, you know, the trials of life that, that one encounters by living in a fallen world. But when that starts to press in on the rocky heart, their profession with shallow roots quickly withers. Persecution, that would be the animosity and oppression from the world that comes against those who claim Christ to be king over their lives. The harassment and a hostile pursuit for those who belong to Jesus. That too quickly exposes the profession of selfish, shallow heart. I mean, who would endure such treatment unless one has deep roots of conviction and assurance that Jesus Christ is Lord. The selfish heart is committed only to itself, not to Christ nor the kingdom. That is the rocky soil. Jesus moves on and tells us about the thorny soil. The thorny soil really represents a divided heart or a deceived heart. The thorny soil is a dirty heart. 
It's a polluted heart. It's an infested heart, infested with worldliness. The divided heart is polluted by the cares of this world, and the deceitful heart or the deceived heart believes the empty promises of earthly riches. You see, the divided heart hears the gospel, but the worry of this world, the cares of this age, choke it to death. The divided heart is a preoccupied heart. It's preoccupied with the temporal affairs of this life, the needs and demands for everyday life. Work, leisure, pleasure, that quickly crowds out all room for prayer, reading of scripture, meditation, reflection, not to mention service and gospel witness. You see, the divided heart is, a, is, is an anxious heart. It worries about what it shall eat, what it shall drink, what it shall wear, just as Jesus already taught us in the Sermon on the Mount. Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself, each day has enough trouble of its own. Furthermore, Jesus said that a thorn-infested heart is also a deceived heart, deceived by the love for earthly riches. You see, the love of riches misleads many by its false promises. It promises happiness but more often than not, gives misery. It promises life, but it condemns the owners to eternal death if they cling to it. I mean, the rich young ruler would be a, a good example. I mean, he received the seed of the gospel, but his heart was captivated by his love for his wealth, keeping him from following Jesus because he loved money more than Jesus. He loved mammon more than God. And Jesus instructed us again earlier in Matthew 6, store up for yourself treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And a, few, a couple of verses later, verse 24, no man or no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. You see, people, having riches is not the problem. Riches having you, that is the problem. It is the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. That's what Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 6. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. 
But those who want to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Paul says, pursue godliness with contentment. The author of Hebrews wrote, make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself said, I will never desert you, nor will I forsake you. Say that so that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? But, but why am I emphasizing this? Why, why, do I, why do I focus on this, on this heart condition? It is because it has always been and still is today very pervasive. Sadly, there are many in the church today who have hearts such as this. Later on, Jesus will actually address this very issue through his parable of the wheat and the tares. And it's because our hearts are so desperately deceived and wicked, as Jeremiah reminds us. We need to guard against that. Now, it's always been hard to live by faith, and it is hard to live the Christian life in our climate today. Many have heard the gospel and have responded to the gospel, but have not embraced the full implications of the gospel, nor the full blessings of yielding to Jesus as Lord. For their hearts are divided, weighed down by the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. Those things will choke out the gospel from your life resulting in a, being a barren Christian, which is an oxymoron, a fruitless profession. Such a heart, instead of obeying the Word of God, rationalize it, compromise it, and thinks we can just add Jesus to our lives as we pursue all of our many other pursuits that is of importance to us. Some are even... Think of perhaps employing Jesus in their pursuits of worldly desires of health, wealth, and prominence. And as such, they actually never know the blessing of, God, of the gospel in its fullness. And they will never be a blessing to others. Because to fully grasp the disaster of this type of soil, we need to understand what the call of the king is. We must understand the nature of God's kingdom. He rules over our hearts. The king demands our first love, our foremost love, our undivided love. He demands our total submission our exclusive allegiance. And when He calls us to come to Him, to follow Him, to enter into His kingdom, He calls us to die, to die to ourselves so that we may live for Him. We can't serve two masters, He says. 
It is Christ and no one else. Christ and nothing else. That is the call of the kingdom. And so we've seen the hardened heart, we've seen the, the selfish heart, we've seen the divided and deceived heart. But praise God, there is also the fruitile, the, sorry, the fruitful, <laughs> the fruitful soil. The fruitful soil represents a genuine heart, a true heart, a yielded heart, a fruitful heart. Good soil. That is fertile soil, is the one who hears the gospel, the word of God, comes to understand it, is converted by it, repents of their sins, places their trust in the truth of the gospel, in the truth of Jesus Christ, his person and his work, Jesus as Savior and as King, and yields to his demands and follow his ways. It is the heart of a person who bears the fruit of faith. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The fruit of obedience to love one another and all the other one another commandments. To make disciples. Remember, the seed is the same seed in every type of soil. But now, in the good soil, in the good heart, it produces fruit. Good seed in good soil always produces good fruit. A, a spiritual harvest. The heart that bears fruit is the heart who truly believes who trusts, who has faith, who has Jesus as their king and the kingdom as their home. Fruitfulness is really the evidence of their citizenship, their identity document, if you like. It reveals who they are and to whom they belong. They belong to the king and they live in the kingdom of heaven. That is where their allegiance are. And so fruitfulness really is the evidence of genuine faith, not the prerequisite. Okay? We don't work for our salvation. Because we are saved, it produces works of righteousness. And both in the Old and New Testament, we read that fruitfulness is the evidence of true faith. How blessed is the man who walked not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by the streams, which yields its fruits in its season, and its leaves leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. John the Baptist said, The axe is already at the root of the tree. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Jesus said, we shall know them who belong to him and who speaks for him by their fruit. Because a good tree cannot bear or produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Paul to the church of Rome says, therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die 
to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. Romans 7, 4. And James says that unless our faith produce works, unless our faith produce fruit, it is dead being by itself. So the kingdom, the citizen of the kingdom of heaven, the disciple of Jesus Christ, will bear fruit and will be known by their fruit. Now, I know many among you are very sensitive and maybe even at this time wonder, am I even saved when I hear these things? But listen to this. There are different degrees of fruitfulness. Some will produce 30, others 60, others 100 fold. Because not every heart is equally convicted by the gravity of their sin. Not every heart is equally amazed by the grace given to them. Not every heart is in wonder at the same level at the forgiveness they have received. Not every heart is equally faithful, equally loyal, equally devoted, equally courageous, equally meek, equally loving. And so the fruit that they produce varies 30 times, 60 times, 100 times. But still, the good soil, the genuine soil, always produce fruit. For the seed is good. It is a fruit-producing seed. The gospel has to make a difference in our lives. And so, maybe just in summary, Jesus taught that between His first and second coming, the kingdom will increase through the sowing of the seed of the kingdom. And the task of the sower is to sow. Sow widely and sow indiscriminately. Sow in every type of soil. Because we do not know the heart. Uh, the condition of the soil. Only God knows the condition of the soil. But our task is to sow and to pray that God will change the soil of a person so that they may receive the seed of the gospel. And Jesus taught that the seed is the word of the kingdom, the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the seed that we so must be the seed that Jesus sowed. We are not at liberty to modify the seed. We must never be guilty of psychologically or sociologically re-engineer the seed of the kingdom because we think it will grow better in the different kinds of souls. It will not. The gospel of God is the power of God unto salvation. Not the gospel of human wisdom, not the gospel of modern expediency. God's gospel. Our task is to sow and not to tamper with the seed. And Jesus alerted us to the fact that whenever the seed of the gospel is sown, really there will only be two kinds of responses. You would say, but we've read of four. Well, you can divide that in only two. Those who respond to the gospel in faith and bear fruit. And all the others are different variants 
of rejecting the gospel. But the secret is the soil. And so, fruitfulness of the kingdom depends on the heart. And so we need to pray to God our Father to make us more fruitful. To till the soil of our heart, to, to fertilize it so that we would be more faithful. And we need to pray to our Father to till the hearts of men, unbelievers, to fertilize their hearts so that they would receive the gospel, believe the gospel, and bear the fruit of the gospel. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word to us this morning. And Lord, we, we rejoice, Lord, that you have given us the seed of the gospel, that you have implanted it in our hearts. Lord, that it has sprouted up in us and, and given us life, Lord. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for saving us. And Lord, our hearts yearn and desire to be among those who, who yields a, a, a hundredfold crop to you, Lord. You are worthy of all of it, Father. And so we pray that you would work in our own hearts to make us more fruitful for you and for your kingdom. And Lord, as we do so, we pray that you would touch the hearts of those who do not believe that they may come to know you and have life in abundance. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.